The text for the sermon is taken from Psalm 43. Give sentence for me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. O deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I would encourage you to open up the prayer books to Psalm 43 and follow along, because we'll be referencing that psalm uh, all morning. This is the psalm that was appointed for the introit, and it was composed at an extremely difficult time in David's, King David's life. Even though God had anointed David, he blessed him with victory over his enemies, he has set him up as king in Jerusalem. David's own failures concerning Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah are amplified and, and continued into the lives of David's own children. The cycle of sin and violence continues and David does not confront his sons who are really following his own example. The horrid actions of Amnon against his sister Tamar go unpunished. And Absalom, Tamar's brother, silently plans revenge both against Amnon and his father David. Eventually, Absalom kills Amnon and after a time slowly builds a loyal following in order to claim kingship over his father. So King David then has to flee. He has to flee for, from Jerusalem to some caves out in the wilderness where he hastily plans some sort of military response to his own son. Simply put, things are a mess. And while David flees and finds refuge in these caves, he and the appointed court musicians, who we know as the sons of Korah, compose Psalm 43. This psalm is a cry to God, and one can see why David composed this psalm at that moment. The people of Israel have turned against him as their king. And now it's his own son, his beloved son, who is his enemy. He knows at this point that his life is truly in the hands of God. And even, he even tells this to his comrades as they retreat in 2 Samuel 17. David's only hope is that God will lead him back to Jerusalem, to the holy hill. And it's only God's light and truth that will lead him, not the truth of rebellious sons, backstabbing generals, or false prophets. But the psalm uh, can be read as the literal and historical occasion of David's retreat, but it can also be read beyond that literal historical meaning. It can also be seen as David's general supplication to God on behalf of his whole life. Psalm 43 is David's general prayer that God brings him towards himself. David's sins time and time again ruin his relationship with God. They wreak havoc on his own private life, on his own family, and on Israel. His own soul is heavy within him. And on top of that, David always dealt with external enemies who not only just threatened his kingdom, they threatened his own life. And so as David faced death, he continually turns towards his creator, 
the only true help of his own countenance. But we can expand our reading of this psalm even further. What we see in David, we see in ourselves. And Psalm 43 becomes our prayer in troubling situations, but also generally as our prayer as humans. All of Lent, we have been looking at this analogy of veils, how the veils uh, cover the crucifixes and our icons. Veils which at the one and the same time shroud the reality of an object, yet also build our desire towards that object. We have used this analogy of our own lives, which must pierce through three layers of veils to understand God. And those are the veils of our own sins, the veil of the wounds of the fall, and the veils of just our own finite nature. It seems a hopeless task. Psalm 43, it summarizes the struggles of humanity. Humanity that is burdened with sin, wounded, and faced with death. But the psalm also shows a way through these veils. When reading the psalm in this way, the church has read these words as Christ's own prayer on behalf of humanity. And this reading then helps deepen our understanding, not just of the psalm, but also of our walk through the last two weeks of Lent. David starts, Give sentence with me, O God. Defend my cause against the ungodly people. O deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man. As we enter into Passion Tide, Christ's suffering and humility now come in view. And this psalm shows the depth of suffering Jesus experienced as he, God's own son, has to plead for deliverance. For thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou put me from thee? Why go I so heavily while the enemy oppresseth me? Now, Jesus is oppressed, but not by his own sin, like David, but by taking on the sin of the whole world. And even more, those whom Jesus came to save are now the ones denying his identity. So just as David was oppressed by his own son, now God is oppressed by his own children, Israel. Listen to the gospel from this morning. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham's dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? This leading group of Jews in Jerusalem deny Christ's kingship. They even declare that he is a devil. And once Jesus then declares his identity, the leaders of God's chosen people take up stones to kill their Messiah. Jesus said unto them, Verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out into the temple. The psalm continues. O send out thy light in thy truth, that they may lead me. Now we see Christ's work at hand, for he is the light and the truth, and his passion becomes our salvation. 
Yesterday, we celebrated one of the most wonderful feast days of the whole Christian year, the Annunciation. It's the feast of the Incarnation, when the angel Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary and tells her that she will be overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and conceive a son, which she does nine months later on December 25th. It is the day, as in the words of the Apostle John, that the light cometh into the world. This is the light that drives away darkness. This is the light that shines through those veils that shroud us from reality, from God. And as the light shines and the veils are removed, then we can approach God. Or as the psalm says, to bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. When David spoke those words, he hoped that he would return to Jerusalem, the holy hill, as king. Read as Jesus' prayer, we still understand the holy hill as Jerusalem, but not only as the literal city which stands there today, but as the heavenly Jerusalem, as St. Paul mentioned last week in the epistle, the heavenly Jerusalem which is the church in which God dwells with his people. And even more, when Jesus turns himself towards Jerusalem, towards the holy hill, he knows that he's turning towards his suffering. And so that holy hill is also Mount Calvary, which is one of the hills of Jerusalem. Mount Calvary was known as the place of the skull. And in Jewish tradition, it was the literal place where the skull of Adam, the first man, was buried. It was also the same place where Cain and Abel offered up their sacrifices to God. It was the same place where Noah built an altar to God in thanksgiving. It was the same place where Abraham brought Isaac, his son, to be sacrificed. It's the same place where David himself built an altar near the end of his life to offer a sacrifice on behalf of Israel that was suffering a plague because of his sin. And it's the same place where the new Adam, the new king, truly offers himself for the whole world. The psalm continues, And that I may go unto the altar of God, even unto the God of my joy and gladness, and upon the heart will I give thanks unto thee, O God, my God. Through the cross, Jesus takes on death for all humanity. And through his resurrection, he brings humanity back to the altar of God, which is his own body. Listen to the, how the author of the epistle of the Hebrews put it for the epistle this morning. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus' blood, his blood which is fully human, blood that came from his mother, now becomes our life. And the veils which have obscured and shrouded reality fall away. We enter into his life through the great gift of baptism. And there, the veil of our own sins, the veil of the wounds of the fall, 
bear the veil of our own finite nature, are washed away in the waters of baptism as God forgives, as he heals, and he joins our human nature to his divine nature. We become sons and daughters of the divine. George, this morning, as he was washed through those waters right in front of you, was made a divine son of God right here. When we are faced with the veils of humanity, we ask, like the psalmist at the end, why art thou so heavy, O my soul? And why art thou so disquieted within me? This is the question that stands before us as merely humans. But through the waters of baptism, we may respond, put thy trust in God. And then finally, the psalmist ends with this, for I will yet give him thanks, which is the help of my countenance and my God. Now that we read this as Christ's words, we see with clarity that this is Jesus' own offering of thanks that we get to join in. And of course, as we, you all well know this, the word for thanks is eucharizo. It is the Eucharist. For it's in the Eucharist that Jesus brings all humanity to his Father through the offering of his own body and blood in thanksgiving. As each of you has been joined to God through your baptisms, now come and give thanks for that great gift. Come and receive God himself in the Eucharist. Let your vision be healed so that you may see reality as God sees it. And through God's mercy, we can truly come to know him through his son and the veils which have obscured our vision, the veils which have obscured our understanding will be taken away. This morning, we took a little bit of water and we put it on the forehead of George. It doesn't look like much. The physical act is nothing. And yet we know that God worked in George to make him the son of God. When you come to the altar, you will receive a piece of bread. You will taste just wine. And yet we know that that is the true body and blood of Jesus. That is God giving himself to you. Do you see what we're doing? Each day we're training our vision when you come to Mass. And you're seeing that if bread and wine can become God's gift to you, think about what happens when you go out into the world with that vision, with that understanding. Think what each person is, what each tree is, what each day is. That is reality as God sees it. We now see through the veil. What looks just as physical matter, though, is teeming with meaning, significance, and the true grace of God. And as we train our sight here at this altar, may we then see God's work in all the world, in our day-to-day -day lives. Give sentence for me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. O deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.